Hi friends, this is episode 64 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi everybody, I'm so glad to be back with you and I'm so happy that the audio is really good this week. Thank you so much for your patience last week, but we have got it all fixed and just in time for us to have this incredible conversation a conversation about a story that we probably probably all grew up with daniel in the lion's den but there's so much more there than we learned in our felt board sets learning in primary school now it's time for us to go deeper to find out the true meaning of what's going on during times like this doesn't god care doesn't he care when you're going through some really tough times doesn't he want to help you stay out of situations like that and what is he saying about his character we're going to go through all that in this session today so i can't wait for you to go on this journey with us thanks so much for joining us here at the bible lab welcome to the bible lab are you guys ready Number one, I would guess that many people here are somewhat shy about praying publicly with a group in a restaurant. Yes, no, or maybe, wow, a lot of yes. I'm seeing a vast majority of yeses. Okay, so I don't know what that says about you, but these people are judging you today. Um, <laughs> you're being judged today because I saw about 85% yes, I saw about 10% no, thank you, and I saw about 5% maybes. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Especially nowadays, when the news is trying to portray Christians in a certain light, when movies and television portray Christians in a certain light, you're trying to be polite. You don't want to offend people around you. You want to make sure things are comfortable. And so, yeah, I, I imagine it's uncomfortable for a lot of people today in a large public space to have public prayer. We're going to talk about that quite a bit today because Daniel has to wrestle with public prayer. What people might think if he's seen praying publicly and it's a lot more scary than what you have to do at a restaurant because your biggest fear might be that the waiter will spit in your food. And if you didn't have that fear before, I'm just glad to give you one more fear (laughs) as you go to a restaurant. Number two, I'm fairly private about my personal religious beliefs. I'm fairly private about my personal religious beliefs, okay? So I'm seeing a split here, but it looks like about 45% no, 50% yes, and 5% maybe. So it's fairly split here. Some of you feel comfortable sharing your religious beliefs. Some of us feel uncomfortable because you're sharing your religious beliefs. Uh, Some of you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to make other people uncomfortable, or you just turn on the news, and depending on which station you tune into, it's portraying you and your religious beliefs in a way that you're uncomfortable with. We're in a really tough time today, aren't we? Where religion has become politics, and politics has become religion, and it's so blurred that you wonder if people looking at those who represent Christianity and politics also represent love and compassion and the joy that we find here in Scripture. We're going to talk about that today as well. 
Number three, there are people who do not like me because of my faith. There are people who do not like me because of my faith. All right? This is what I expected because we're in Loma Linda and we're all the same faith, right? Yeah, it's hard to find someone who's not part of our movement. Uh, so I'm seeing a majority of no. I saw about 70% no, 20% yes, and about 10% maybes. In fact, one of the things, when I moved here to Loma Linda, um, that I had to do right away is I had to find a charity that I could be part of that didn't have a lot of people from Loma Linda. <laughs> because the problem is, you know, we become so insular that we just spout off things, we say things as if that's the way the rest of the world believes, or of course, this is societal norm. And it does something to you if you do not surround yourself with people who disagree with you. And so it was funny with this charity, I was actually part of this charity for over a year and they didn't even know what I did for a living. Because every time they would ask me, I would deflect and I would, you know, something would happen and then, oh, well, what do you do? And it's, it's, it's about you, it's not about me. Not that I was embarrassed, I wanted them to get to know me. I wanted them to see 100%, I love you, and I'll do whatever I can to help you, and I'm in it with you. We don't have to agree on our religious beliefs to agree that we need to show love to our community and make a difference in our community. And I wanted to do that until about a little over a year, we were at an event, and someone from the medical center here, one of the VPs, walking by a door of the conference room we're meeting in and goes, there's my pastor? And everyone, there's like 25 guys around this conference table. They all go, <laughs> looking at me. And so we talk, I talk with her for a while and then she goes and it gets really quiet. <laughs> and they go, so what do you do? <laughs> and now they call me Chappie because I'm the chaplain of, of the group. I'm the only guy that goes to church out of a group of about 110 that's where we need to be. God says, go into all the world. He doesn't say, sequester yourself from all the world. And so in these times, you need to intentionally say, how am I intentionally having relationships so that the people of the world, when others are attacking my beliefs, they come to my defense. And that's what we're going to see in today's story. Because there's one person in this story that's more concerned than anyone else, and it's not Daniel. It's Darius, the king. And we're going to talk about that today. Number four, the Bible discourages most types of civil, civil disobedience. The Bible dis discourages most types of civil disobedience. Yes, no. I mean, this is, okay, this is the groaner. I heard it. This is a hard one, isn't it? Because we're split. Yeah, we're like, we're all over the place. Um, about the same amount of yes and no's and about 10%, almost 15% of maybes. Especially today, are we called to rise up in civil disobedience when the political views of the place in which we live are in conflict with our personal views and our religious views? This is going to be a lot more personal than you thought today it was going to be, isn't it? It's going, to be all, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait because so many of you are going to be so uncomfortable. And that's, that's amazing. I can't wait. You thought it's going to be comfortable. Air conditioner's on today. You got a cushy seat. No one's having to sit on the stage today. No one's having to stand. And I'm still going to make it uncomfortable. Because comfort is the enemy of greatness. 
And today, God needs us uncomfortable because he needs us to do great things. So we're going to do that today. Number five, God tends to only rescue people miraculously when it will convince non-believers that he is real. Ah, that's what I expected. A lot of no's, but I do see some maybes. I'm seeing almost um, around 5%, maybe a little bit more than 5% maybes, but almost all no's. And I think I saw one yes, just because they know it's a trick question. <laughs> How does God act? When does God act? Does he only act at certain times? Does he always want to act, but he can only act sometimes? We're going to talk about that today. But to dive into this, we've got to get some context where we are. Now recall, last week, something major happened. We had this king, Belshazzar, and he has this big party. Well, the reason why he has this big party is because, not because he's uh, just this frivolous guy, but because Babylon is surrounded by the invading armies of the Medes and the Persians. They've already taken out some of the major cities of the Babylonian Empire. And Belshazzar, who's king at that time, probably grandson of the Nebuchadnezzar, we've been having a, uh, a journey through his life. But he's having this party because he knows this might be his last supper. And in this time, he asked for these goblets to, to be brought that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And he doesn't take them simply because he's just showing how powerful he is. He takes them and uses them. And if you look at scripture, it shows he had them drink wine to them. And they worshiped and called upon their gods and their idols of the six elements. What this is showing is this is his last-ditch, desperate call on any and all gods. Is there a god there? Um, who's going to pick up? And the handwriting happens on the wall. And we had to ask the question, why? Because God didn't have to do that, did he? He could have just let the army come in and, and take him. Why is it that even though Belshazzar is doing all this stuff, had all this time, had all these stories from his grandparents about the Most High God, the God of Daniel and how amazing he is and what he does for his people and all the declarations because Nebuchadnezzar himself writes this entire chapter, the, the only non-Jew to, to write a chapter in the Bible and it's all about how amazing this most high God is. He has all this information. He has all the stories, but he went his own way. And many of you who are grandparents, you know the feeling of watching your grandkids choose their own path. It's painful, isn't it? You wish you could change it, but just imagine this. Let me ask you a question. Does God love your grandkids? Let me ask a more difficult question. Does God love your grandkids more than you do? Yes. So imagine the pain God's going through as he sees Belshazzar choosing a path that can only lead to destruction. In moments like that, God does not leave them nor forsake them. God takes every moment to speak into their life, even at the end of life the last moments of life. And so we saw God interact 
stretch out his hand and send a message. Why? Because he wanted Belshazzar to make a decision. Not a life or death decision, but an eternal life decision. And in the same way, as two other men on either side of Jesus on the cross of Calvary are within arm's reach of Jesus, with his hands once again working, we see the story of two decisions. You know you're going to die, but you still have a choice to live eternally. And we see one thief say, remember me. And Jesus say, I will. It's the same moment. It's an echo of that same moment. Nebuchadnezzar admits, you are the most high God. Belshazzar completely ignores him, and yet God in that last moment says, can I give you one more chance? The handwriting's on the wall. And God moves in and says, I still can't imagine going through eternity without you. Here's your chance. Well, we know what happens with the rest of the story because, um, well, we get to chapter 6, and guess what? (laughs) We have a new king. Belshazzar is gone. He's killed. And now we're now going into the new reign in chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 1. And we're going to go through. <laughs> we're going to go through verse twenty-eight, and I'll try to read it better than the guy on that recording that's going on someone's <laughs> phone right now. But he he had a much deeper voice. I'm working on it, but this is what you get—a <laughs> little mousy voice. I'm sorry. So let's read and then let's unpack it. Let's see what's going on here. Now I know some people say Darius. Um, many theologians and the teachers in my class always corrected me and said Darius. Um, it doesn't matter. He's not here. Um, <laughs> so in our conversation, you won't, you won't offend him, and you definitely won't offend me. So I'll just say Darius just so my professors who listen to this won't be cringing every time I say it. Thank you. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Verse 4, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We all are in agreement, which was a lie. And they said, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, 
any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law, so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So, King Darius signed the law. Let's take a step back and let's see what's going on. Now, I read out of the New Living Translation. I like it because they try to help us today with some of the words that might not mean something. But perhaps in your translation, you read instead of officials or, or whatever, you read satraps. Satraps. Um, that is a word that simply means you are someone who is a protector of the kingdom. And it would make sense that we'd use someone from the local area who had been there before, who has relationship, who knows where all of the ways for someone to embezzle funds or to, uh, you know, cause a coup to happen in the area. They know the people, they know the lay of the land, they know how things are run, so they would know if something was uh, amiss in that part of the kingdom. And so satraps, if you're reading through that, it's a person who's in charge to make sure that the king's interest is protected. So we've got this kingdom. It's now. We thought Babylon was good. But now, this kingdom of the Medes and Persians, and I've got it written there in the paragraph that, that you can read, is larger than any kingdom before its time. The, the, the landmass is just absolutely incredible for the time and the m means of transportation that they had at the time. It's all the way from Egypt all the way up over toward India. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Huge amount of land. And Darius is like, you know, I think Daniel is capable enough to oversee all of it. Isn't it amazing? It's been about 39 years since Daniel began as a leader there in Babylon. 39 years of experience. And in that time, God has blessed him into being such an incredible administrator. The gift of administration breathed into him. That right there, um, Darius says, yeah, Daniel, I think... Uh, I think I want you to ruin the whole thing. But there's some, there's some belief that actually Darius knew. Darius actually knew Daniel before, which would make sense. You know the leaders of the different countries and stuff. And I want a microphone right back here. I have a comment about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, uh, blue mic. There we go. Thank you. Um, there is circumstantial evidence that appears to show that there is a link between Daniel and Darius that goes back a ways, kind of like Pastor Dan talks about, a history right. that they go back. Um, if you read the verse, the last verse of the previous chapter, it states specifically that Darius was 62 years of age. Right. It and any time there's a unique, like a name or an, a precise age like that, it means something, doesn't it? It means one of two things. Either they know each other well, yes. or that there is an administrative association between them. So yes. that they knew Daniel would have known through the files how old Darius was. Yeah. And Darius, who is also known as Guberus in history, That's right. was appointed as the Babylonian governor 
or ruler over the province of Gitim, which is one of the six tribes that made up the Medes. And so Nebuchadnezzar would have appointed him uh, into that position, which would have, with Daniel's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, they would have conferred at some point. And so Gubaris would have known Daniel, would have interacted Daniel. Again, this is, there's no direct historical evidence. This is just circumstantial. Thirdly, um, the night that uh, Gubaris uh, overthrew Babylon, it was without force. So Gubaris knew Babylon. He knew where the gates to the river Euphrates were. He knew how to get in through them. And also that night, there were three people that should have died, of yes. which only one died. Yes. When a ruler comes into a new or overtakes a new empire or old empire, they kill the leadership to make sure that there is no thread of an uprising for the future. And that's why Belshazzar died. Yes. His father, Nabonidus, was not of the royal line, so he was thrown out of exile, thrown into exile. Mm -hmm. The third one that should have died was Daniel. Yes, because he had just received that promotion at the party. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, but he did not. Exactly. And, uh, the third thing, the uh, fourth thing. So, I, I'm sorry, I want you to continue, but I just want to pause so everyone catches the significance of this. So the top three officials are supposed to be removed permanently <laughs> uh, through death. Daniel is the third. You have to ask the question, why did they make an exception in Daniel's case? So once again, it may be circumstantial, but you're absolutely correct. There's a reason and obviously a relationship here that existed before they came in. Otherwise, there would be no protection for Daniel. And the next uh, relationship is that um, we know that Gubris only lived about 18 months after he conquered Babylon. Right. So the story, the, uh, the reference that you read here earlier happened within the, those 18 months period. So Daniel's rise to prominence was meteoric. Yes. And you promote somebody whom you know, whom you trust, who know, whom you know will do a good job. And if Gubris knew Daniel, from before is a good reason why he would have made him as, as one of the, the three with the idea that if all goes well and as things settle down, he would become number one. And, and the final point is that will come later is when Darius uh, Gubra signs the decree, he realizes what this means to Daniel. And you're up at night, you can't sleep, when there's a friend that's in danger. Mm -hmm. It's not like some stranger that you barely knew for the last year and a half right. that is about to die. Right. He was up all night, and then the next morning he ran to the lion's den. And Kings don't run publicly. Right. No, you don't. I mean, it was, it's the biggest disgrace because a king would have someone else. If, there's, if you need something, the king would has the power to have someone else run and fetch something. Um, a king doesn't run, they're too dignified. It's, it's the most undignified a thing that a king could do. And we're gonna see in a moment, just like you said, mm -hmm. he's running because he wants to make sure his friend, perhaps miraculously, has survived. Mm -hmm. he's, he's heard stories that he knows there's a chance 
but he's willing to be completely undignified. I don't care what anyone says. I, I have to run myself. I think the other point is he could have had anybody run and ask the question. He runs himself. Yeah. And my final point is that why was uh, Gubra so angry with these people that he threw them all into the lion's den if it wasn't because of how his relationship with Daniel and how he felt that he had been tricked into causing Daniel to be put in harm's way? You are asking and having all of us ask precisely the questions we have to ask today. Because I don't know about you, but when I grew up with the felt board set of Daniel in the lion's den, we really focused on the angels closing the mouths and look what God can do. But we never looked at what God was doing on a grand scale. And so you're, thank you, profound, because, and thank you for your study. We all, we all need to do this to come together to have the deeper conversations. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that, because you've now launched us, thank you, into the conversation we need to have. There's a new decree. These guys come up. They really do not like Daniel. Why? Well, we can see in the language, once again, uses terms like Chaldeans for the other leaders, which means they're locals. Daniel is a foreigner. And for 39 years, this foreigner to their country, this foreigner to their religion, has always been able to rise to authority over them or at least equal with them at times. And they absolutely despise him. Absolutely. So you can be doing everything right in your relationship with God. You can be as loving as possible, be compassionate, and follow God's will for you to really make the world around you a better place and still have people hate your guts and want you dead. Is that the best news in the world? No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. So why do you take it so personally when it happens to you? Don't take it personally. In fact, we've mentioned this before, I call it the devil's compliment. The troubles, the aches, the pains, the, the attacks are the devil's greatest compliment because he knows the influence you can have if your relationship with God is solid and your relationship with mankind is also solid. You are the conduit of relationship. And so t take it as a compliment. Obviously, Daniel did because the person most concerned in the story is not Daniel. You have two people who are very concerned. The first group of people we're looking at is a group of people who are concerned that Daniel is being considered for the highest position of leadership possible for them. And so their greatest concern is how can we get rid of him? I want to come over here, a microphone over to Raul, and uh, I want to hear Raul's perspective. Right, hold up the card right there. Thank you. I'm a foreigner, just yeah. in case you didn't know. I, well, you have no accent, so. So I must be very careful what I say here, I suppose. But I'll say it anyway. Cool. I, Suppose there are maybe 20, 30% of people here in this room who are foreigners. Yes. Um, and they probably know that things haven't changed in 2,500 years. Right. 
Um, in some senses, we will never be part of because we were born in another place. We may have equal or even, forgive me my, <laughs> what I'm gonna say, we may even have higher qualifications mm -hmm. or not. Right. Anyway, we, we are just human beings, but we are foreigners. Yeah. And we will ever be. Now, many people make us feel that we are not. And we are grateful for that, including the church. I'm happy for that. But things have not changed for 2,500 years since Daniel. And even worse than that, there are entire groups of people living in this country and other countries too that have been here for 300, 400 years and they still feel that they are foreigners. Yeah. So um, this is reflection is not a complaint, but it could be that in my um, Christianity should make us different. Mm -hmm. Not only braver, yeah. but always humbler. And uh, look at one another and, and see, hey, we are just sons and daughters of God. And I'm saying this because my wife and I have gone through some things that Daniel, that relate to Daniel. And uh, I, I, say, I say to my brothers and sisters, we are all sons and daughters of God. I love that perspective because it, it is so directly connected to the story. You have to ask the question, I mean, with Daniel being an administrator of a foreign kingdom for 39 years, what citizenship do you think he claimed? And regardless of whether we were born in this country or another country and now we immigrated to a country, all of us here actually have dual citizenship. Um, some of you have triple citizenship or whatever because scripture says you know we're citizens of the kingdom of God and, and we're heirs we're, we're not just immigrants to heaven uh, we actually have relatives in high the highest authority places in heaven so I, I hear what you're saying because there always has to be in the back of your mind this feeling of where is home. When people say, where are you from, Raul? Do you say Spain? And do you say Loma Linda, California? You say, well, I spend about three months in Bolivia uh, digging up dinosaur bones uh, in, in a year. Uh, you know, it, it has to be a challenge. And I imagine that Daniel, a at the same time, with these leaders saying, you're, you're not from here. You know, go back, go back to your own country. And Daniel thinking, boy, would that be a dream come true? If only I could. Because I was supposed to be part of the royal leadership in Jerusalem right now. I was supposed to be doing this, but for God's chosen people in Jerusalem. And, uh, but yet he placed me here. And I think that's one of the challenges for us too, especially some of you who are like, this is not the place... I would choose to be. This is not the life I would have chosen. These are not the decades I would have mapped out. 
But God's placed you here at this time, at this place. Does he have something even for you, even though it's not at the place that you would have chosen to be your home? And that's what we're going to take a look at, especially as the screws get turned a little bit tighter and we go to the next couple of verses. We're going to take a look at verses 10 through 18. New Living Translation says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. So it obviously affected him greatly. Unconcerned. New law, whatever. Many of us would instantly try to figure out how do I gain support there's no Facebook at that time no Instagram how do I get my following to help support me we need to write the senators and the congressmen this is horrible doesn't do any of it doesn't call anybody he just says whatever you guys can do whatever you want I'm going to spend my time with God and I don't know what your devotional experience is. This is not a judgmental thing. It's not a guilt thing. But I'm just saying, Daniel understood a key. And the key is, if you want to lower your stress, it's not about going and building an army of support and battling along with you so that you're supporting. If you're going through a tough time, the best thing you can do is just go spend time with God even if it's just silence with God, and just say, God, <laughs> you're going to take care of this. You take care of it for all these other people through all of history. Why should I be so concerned? The problem is we want God to panic with us, right? Come on, God, panic with me. This is huge, lions. I don't want to know what it feels like to have a lion chomp into me. And he doesn't panic. He just continues his practice of saying, you know, God's going to take care of it. I don't have to get all upset. I don't have to start calling all my friends together in my support. All I have to do, just keep doing what I know I need to do, which is spend my time with God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Your yoke is too heavy. Your burden's too heavy. He says, take mine, I'll take yours. And so that's what Daniel does here. It continues... He didn't even try to hide it. It says, with its windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, this is simply a practice that Daniel would do. It's not like facing east or facing Mecca or uh, actually in Babylon. They would face east because they would be praying to the sun and stuff like that. This is just the temple of God was in Jerusalem, and it was Daniel's way, according to commentators, it was Daniel's way of just saying, look, I want my focus to be on where the presence of God is. And so that's why he would pray at his window facing Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. And it doesn't say begging God for protection. What's it say? <laughs> Can you give thanks at a time when you're being persecuted? I, do, do you get it? Daniel understood I think in my mind, my imagination, what I see Daniel giving thanks for is, thanks God, I'm not alone here. You took care of us when we first got here. You made us 10 times more healthy and attractive at the very beginning because we wouldn't eat this food that's sacrificed to idols. You made us 
uh, you know, look really good. I'm here taking care of the, the palace and everything, and, and I, I get word that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego have to go out to this image where Nebuchadnezzar's trying to get people to worship the one true God that he learned from me, but he's screwing it up. He's messing up the whole thing. He's got this fiery furnace. God never left us then. God's not going to leave us now. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. So he gives thanks. Thank you, God, for being right here. Once again, opportunity for you to move, God. So verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? And by the way, many, most commentators, I should say, as I read through this said that this decree was not to deify Darius was not to pray to him as a god. It was giving him the high priest position to where we give our prayer request to you, and on our behalf, you're the one that gets the elevated position of high priest connected to our gods. You will be the one that we come to with our prayer request. And so many, uh, many commentators take that approach. Uh, Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Verse 13, then they told the king, well, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah. See, they're really focused in on this is a foreigner. We're the locals. He's the foreigner. That captive from Judah is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Verse 14, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. By the way, Darius knew this because he had already executed a, another man, according to their chronicles who later turns out to have been innocent, um, and he didn't lose any sleep over it. Once again, getting back to your comment earlier, obviously there's a re relationship that Darius really cares about this guy. So, verse 16, So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles. By the way, these are the accusers. I never thought about that before, but the actual accusers are sealing. We're the ones who are saying this is justified. It's interesting how the identification is used later to figure out who should be thrown into the den of lions. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. All right, back here, purple mic, I think we'll go to next, and then we'll come to the green mic after that. Yeah, David. Roy, I wanted to back up to, to verse 10, where the part about Daniel and what he prayed about. Hmm. And when I went through the warm-up Wednesday, something clicked there for me. 
several months ago. Uh, I subscribe to GQ magazine. It's a men's Obviously. Magazine. I mean, look how you're dressed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Seriously, you look great. <laughs> actually, uh, I, read it, I, I, I read it for the articles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of them are shallow, but it's surprising how um, there is a lot of faith-based articles in there. But th and this other one wasn't necessarily faith-based. It was lifestyle. And this young guy was saying, you know, you need to eat right and, you, you know, get lots of sleep and live healthily. But one of the things, one of the practices that you should encompass, and it doesn't matter what your faith background is, but you should, before you eat, you should always give thanks. So mm -hmm. I don't care what it is that you believe, but you should have a, a, a you should have gratitude and show thanks before you eat, no matter what your faith is. Wow. And then one of um, one of my favorite shows, this was several months ago, and then one of my favorite shows on Netflix is uh, Midnight Diner, and it's a Japanese show, so I have to read the show. And um, some time ago I read in, in um, Adventist review about what the religious makeup of the Japanese people is, and very only a very very small fraction of people are Christian. Um, they're Buddhists and other beliefs, and in fact, they're all of the above. They cover their bases. But one of the things that I observed in watching this show at this midnight diner, uh, they would break their chopsticks and then they put their hands in a prayerful pose and they would give thanks for their food. They, they always do this. They always give thanks for their food. Mm -hmm. So then when I read this verse in 10, we don't know what Daniel prayed about other than to give thanks to God. And this whole idea of being thankful and grateful, it puts your mind in the right frame. Yes. And it, it's positivity and it's not victimhood. Yeah. It's giving thanks to God and being grateful to God and it puts you in the right frame. And it's not mm -hmm. about, you know, mm -hmm. my adult children aren't living the way the life I want them to and my grandchildren are and God won't you rescue them. It's giving thanks. Yeah. Um, and it's not about, you know, all these backsliders out there and will you, you know, kill all my enemies like, like uh, <laughs> David prays for. Yeah. Again, the focus here is thanks. And that's the thing that, that clicked for me in this entire lesson is yeah. the, uh, we should live our life in in an uh, in a attitude of gratefulness and th thankfulness. Yeah. And even times of trial are times of thanks. Yes. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that, David. Right here, uh, green microphone. Yes. I'm just surprised that if King Darius knew Daniel so well, he wouldn't he would have known that he was a religious man and about some of his practices. Yes. Was his head just so swayed by what these people said to, to him that yes. he wasn't thinking or did he think Daniel would would change? So or, I mean, how could he have not known what so a guy yeah. Daniel was? It's really simple. Thank you. Excellent question. You supervise people at your work. Perhaps you're much more thoughtful and intelligent than I am. But as I've supervised people, I've found myself too often down the line after we as a team and in staff meeting, we decided, you know, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it. And then it's not too long later, 
perhaps moments or even days later, that someone comes and says, you know, that actually causes a huge problem. Do you realize you smarty pants and administration just created a huge problem down the line? And I don't know if you do this, I do it more times than, than I wish, is the whole forehead smack and why didn't I think about that? And so then I'm working the phone, I'm working the email saying, I am so sorry. We didn't think about this. We got to go back. We got to amend this. We got to figure it out. The problem is with Darius here is they did have this unique rule and custom that once a king wrote in something into law, it could not be revoked. It had to be acted out. In fact, you'll even see this um, in other parts of scripture. I, and I'm, I apologize off the top of my head. I believe it's in, in Isaiah um, where it's referenced. But uh, there does come a time when Cyrus says, um, okay, you, we, we need to get rid of all these Hebrews, all these Jewish people. And it was another coup to, to try to get rid of the Jews. And uh, it also happened another time. If you look at the book of Esther, there's a, there's a, couple, of, a couple of examples here. I'm so glad. God brought that one to my mind too. Because once again, there's a, there's a time where now a decree is made to kill all the Jews. Um, it's interesting that you can also read in the Chronicles um, that the king makes a law because he realized he had been tricked here at this time. He makes a law, okay, but the Jews can defend themselves and here's weapons. So he supplies them with a bunch of weapons and says you can defend yourself. That's how he was able to take a law that could not be changed and still said, uh, okay, I didn't change the law. I just changed the rules of the law. I changed, I changed the game field here to at least give them a chance. And so in this case, you can tell by the response of Darius, he had no idea that it's, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And then you realize all the consequences of that. Uh, Purple Mike over here. Yeah. I have a quick question. Yeah. Could Daniel close the window and pray? Because Jesus said, when you want to pray, don't announce it. Go yep. into the room, close the door. Yep, you can go into a closet. Pray quietly. So yep. I was wondering, why did he open the window? Is it yeah. so he... So, yeah, great, great question. It appears from the language of the verse that he did everything as usual. What he decided to do is it's probably best not to deviate from what I do. I'm not going to allow this to throw me into a panic and a fear to change what is my common practice. And so to me, he wasn't flaunting it. It's not in his nature. Um, we see from all, all of these stories. Uh, he just decided, you know, I'm just going to do what I always do and let God take care of it. And I think that's the most powerful thing. I don't know what you would do in that situation. Because we talked about at the, at the top of the program, we talked about the challenge of praying publicly in a restaurant. Remember that? And just the, it's, it's not necessarily a fear, but it's kind of this awkwardness. Of, uh, this is not standard societal behavior. Because you're not looking around seeing everyone do it. When you see it, you're always elbowing whoever's next to you and saying, isn't that beautiful? Look at this. Look at this family, they're holding hands, they're praying around the table, or look at those young people, I can't believe a whole table of young people are praying before their meal. It's, it's just beautiful. 
And so for me, it's really interesting to look at this and say there, there is an individual who says, look, I'm, I'm not going to let societal norm change what's working. And what's working for me is having specific appointments with God three times a day where I just, I just prioritize our, our relationship. Um, I'm going to truncate an, an experience I just had two days ago. Um, you guys all know my life has drastically changed in the last year and a half. Praise God it hasn't changed to where I can't do Bible lab anymore because I, I, the year and a half we couldn't meet together. I felt like I never spent a Sabbath. I felt like I went a year and a half without a Sabbath. This is amazing. I, I love it. But during the week, this last week specifically, um, I'm in the studio, and I'm talking with people who are not of my faith, and many of them who don't really even believe in God or Jesus Christ for that matter. And I'm, I'm interviewing celebrities and professional athletes and musicians and authors and experts um, to do a life coaching program to show that there are people of faith, like myself, who care so much about people that I'm not force-feeding you religion, I'm caring for you. We're showing love for you and trying to help you understand it's our greatest goal to have a relationship with you so that in some way we can influence your life for the better. And if you want get to get to know us more, like all life coaches, Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, you name one, multi-million dollar successful coaches, like them, I request that all of the people that work with me also strive to have a connection with the divine in order to reach their highest levels of success. All those guys require it. Why can't I? And that's our, that's our relational connect. So I can share, well, here's the Christocentric way of doing it instead of going through Eastern mysticism and Buddhism, Taoism to have a connection with God. And so this last week, we were filming about two-thirds of a season in one week. It's crazy. It's an incredible studio. But I've, I have over 65 uh, non-believers, I'll just say. <laughs> you know, the girl working my mic, uh, putting on my microphone all week, young 20-something, um, her entire hands and arms are completely tattooed. And so she's putting on my mic about the second time. I said, you got, a lot, you got a lot of stories on your hands and your arms there. And she was very standoffish before, and she said, what, what do you mean? I said, i got to hear your stories. I'm going to be here all week. You better start telling me the stories. What's that one? And she goes, well, that, that's my cat Monday. He, he died last year, and so I, I, I put my cat Monday here. And, and I said, what's it, what's it say on your knuckles? And, and both your hands together. And she goes, oh, it says full life. I said, you want to live a full life? She's like, yeah. I said, stick around. I said, what's that? It says compassion. She says, that's, that's celebrating my 10 years of being a vegan. I said, vegan, let's talk. <laughs> there's connection points. Well, long story short, there's, uh, there was a position. Um, I won't say what, because I, I don't have his permission to share the story. I, I won't share his name, but let's to say there was a position open that I needed to fill on this huge crew, and it's a, it's a major, it's a, it's a large crew. And I knew a guy through the charity that I'm part of, and one of the best photographers in Hollywood. He does all of these Hollywood spreads in these entertainment magazines. He just last month had one on the cover of one of these major magazines. 
And so I contacted him, I, and I, I hesitated, and I felt really embarrassed because God never wants us to hesitate. When he puts a name on your mind, just act. So I called him out. I said, hey, look, you know, I, I do this show, and we need a photographer to be with us all week, and this is what we need you to do and, and whatever. And he says, uh, he said, Roy, for you, I'm there. And so I said, great. And then I started my human doubt of, man, you know, I'm asking him to enter my real world now. He's going to see, you know, I don't shy away from being a man of faith. And so at the very beginning of our production, despite the fact that it's not a religious crew, um, I asked the producers always to uh, bring everyone's attention together and allow me a time. The celebrity is sitting in the chair. We're just seconds away from starting the first uh, program. And uh, so there's a celeb right there. And I say, I, I would... I hope you're not uncomfortable, but for me, I would like to have a prayer just for God to be here and to bless what we're about to do so we can help as many people as possible through what we're doing, and everyone's respectful, and, and I say a prayer at the beginning of production every day. We get to the end of production, uh, everyone's leaving, and literally the, the last two people getting in their cars at the studio lot is the photographer, uh, uh, sorry, this individual and myself, and, um, and so... He stops me and he says, uh, Roy, I had a great time. And he says, but I, I just want to share something with you. He says, it's, I can't even tell you how long it's been since I heard someone pray publicly. And I said, oh, man, you know, it's just, it's just part of what I believe. And he goes, no, no, it really meant a lot to me. And I replied, I said, you know, I, I can't believe something privately and not live it out publicly. And so... You know, it's just something that's special to me. I think it makes a difference. And, and he says, well, it, it definitely did for me. And he walked away, and I'm just like, man, I'm like tearing up. Because I'm thinking just something as simple as praying. I mean, we're not living in a society where you'll be persecuted or killed for praying. And yet we hesitate in public to pray with each other. Why is that? Why is it that we can't dare to be a Daniel and dare to stand with God in public when people so desperately need this? I'm going to go real quick to the red microphone. Brian, you have a question. Thank you for the story. <laughs> but this doesn't have much to do with it. Um, my question was, why is it in the ancient world uh, changing a law was such a problem? It was because it would, uh, in, in much the same way as we've done historically, just look at the his history of the church, there were times that if the leader of the church made a decree that this is what God meant, uh, well, that was seen as, I mean, of course, it's, it's divine law. And so in the same way, if you changed the law, it meant the king was not good at making laws and was not wise enough to make a law that would stand. And so it was a vote of no confidence for the king to change the law, which meant that if you change the law, you probably would have to change the king as well. And so that was the major thing. I want us to see what happens at the end here, because this is where God really, really shows up in verses 19 through 28 in closing. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. Many of your translations said ran to, which is, which is also correct. When he got there, he called out, in anguish. This tells you this anguish that he really is afraid that his 
friend is, is gone. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Remember, he's heard these stories of these other rescues. 21, Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I've been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. So the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, which is amazing for those of you cat owners. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den. Remember, these are the guys whose signet rings had pressed into the seals to seal Daniel's fate. Now they had sealed their own. He threw them into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Why is this important? Just to show you that God was there. The lions were not full and disinterested. Verse 25, then King Darius sent his message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world. Remember, this is the largest kingdom the world had ever known. This message goes out to the largest kingdom. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. Verse 27, he rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Doesn't matter what you're going through today. Doesn't matter all the challenges you have. Doesn't matter the dark den that you might find yourself in. Doesn't matter what you're surrounded by right now. That same God who loves Daniel loves you just as much. And in the same way that everyone else doesn't see that you're going to survive through this, the same God who is there with Daniel, who shut the mouths of the lions, is shutting the mouths of the lions around you too. Why? Because he loves you. His ultimate goal, of course, is that others will see how God loves you, so those people will preach far and wide, even if they don't understand your God, that this is the real God. Because I see what God's doing in my friend's life. And even though it's not my God, I see what their God does. And so even though you may be in a really dark space or going through a really tough time, it's not God testing you. It's God showing everyone else around you that your God loves you. And what happens in the end is not you testifying, but everyone around you testifying that God loves you. Because even though you were mistreated and put into the position that you never should have been put into, your God still cares. And your God is still there. Here's the interesting thing. God could have killed all the lions. He could have smote them. That's an Old Testament term, isn't it? 
smote them. He could have put them all to sleep. He did that with some guards outside the jail in the New Testament. He could have done a ton of other things, but think about this. What did God do in this situation? He was present. He was there. Daniel didn't have to shut the mouths of the lions because the presence of God was there. All of the options God had to use to protect Daniel, the one he chose, was being present. And don't you know today, that's the same thing he wants to do when you go through your darkness, is to be present. We pray for God to take away the lions. God says, as long as I'm there, don't worry about the lions. Because my presence will change the darkness into light. Uh, I don't know if that reassures you, but I definitely know it reassures me because so many times in my life I feel like I'm in such a tough spot, but I'm never alone. Just like the title of this series, you never stand alone. God's right there with you. If you're going through a really hard time right now, my prayer is going up for you right now because God is right there with you. I hope you can sense his presence. Now, we are continuing on in the book of Daniel. And if you know anything about Daniel, you know the first six books are about the stories. When we get to chapter 7 through 12, it's about these wild prophecies. And I cannot wait for you to come back for episode 65 because we jump into Daniel chapter 7 and we begin a journey through prophecy, seeing things you never saw before. I never saw them before. I studied for these conversations. What God has to tell you today through Daniel 7 has never been more relevant. And I hope you'll come back next time to see why. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats and the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.